many parents think the you talk to your kids for the first time about sex when they turn 18 and like sheepishly talk to them about condoms or something like it's a one time conversation and never again and you're awkward and they're awkward but actually i feel like there's opportunities to discuss sexuality gender the body all kinds of things right from infancy i mean when you teach a toddler the names of the body parts even yeah uh, why teach them euphemisms for the genitals you know uh, some people even you've used the euphemism shame shame for the genitals what's that going to do to how the young person perceives their own bodies Today's episode is with a lady who's India's most prominent voices on the internet in the field of sex education, Lisa Mangaldas. In a society where sex remains a stigma, Lisa chose to use her social reach to normalize conversations around sex, around sexuality, sexual health and the body. And that's exactly what we spoke about today uh, in our conversation. Normalizing conversations, sex education in our country and her journey as a content creator uh about a subject still not widely spoken about Lisa welcome to questions i wanted to ask i am very very nervous to get you <laughs> here and talk it's nothing to do with you it's to do with me and all the awkwardness i have about the subject sex but thank you so much for coming and you know it's an honor to have you on on the podcast Thank you for having me and hopefully by talking about it with me and by talking about it just more um it'll feel less awkward most of us have awkwardness around it we're taught to feel ashamed of and kind of like weird about publicly talking about sex especially as women so i yeah. hear you um <laughs> you know I'm really as glad a, that you chose to address it yeah i mean honestly uh, i i'll admit it's way out of my comfort zone uh, but i have been following you for a very very long time i think ever since you started putting up conversations around sex and personal relationship etc and i was like wow this girl is brave and you know there's something that you told me when i i, I told you this before also and you you told me that achu you know i wish it was it wasn't brave it was just normal and it stuck me and i was like yeah that's so true i mean tell me when you just started this uh, i mean were you told this that are you being brave or you're being crazy or something like that yeah i think a lot of people there's this strange um use of words like brave and bold as yeah. euphemisms to describe particularly women um who own their sexuality or i mean whether it's a picture of a woman looking sexy or whether it's somebody talking about sex or things that aren't usually talked about oh she's so bold you know and that word bold is used i mean it sounds like it's a compliment but there's actually like this tinge of judgment almost like how can she do this yeah like is she a, you know or or like is this person a, too much you know like there's a there's a strange tinge of sh- your own shame being spilt onto this other person because they're doing this thing that seems somewhat unacceptable to you you're like impressed but also kind of um judging them i don't know how to explain i'm not saying you're no. doing that i'm just saying yeah. in general words like oh she's wild bold um nasty i don't know you know yeah uh, dirty i don't know funny words like this loose i don't i, I feel like are are used to describe women particularly but more generally people who own their sexuality or are confident about or seem confident about talking about this stuff and I do wish it was just normal because it shouldn't be brave or bold or whatever else it 
I mean, it's the most normal part. It is a very normal part of life, right? Yeah. Your sexuality, whether or not you have sex. I understand there's also people who are asexual who might have no interest in sex. So I'm not trying to say everybody has to have sex. But I think that being sex positive or being comfortable, uh, you know, not judging other people for the way they conduct their personal lives and allowing for a multitude of expression rather than only thinking this very sort of cishet binary approach is the only acceptable thing. I mean, in India, we kind of think that only... You know, within a marriage, ideally a same religion, same caste marriage to the a member of the opposite sex. Like that's the only respectable paradigm within which your sexuality can be explored or within which sex can be had. And I mean, that's a very oppressive paradigm, right? There's obviously a whole range of other desires. And um, I, it's unfortunate that people kind of have to lead sort of a double life uh, because society doesn't really allow for you to publicly express yourself if your desires don't conform to that box you know I understand I, I think you know when I said brave I also meant and as as somebody in the business of content right and talent I know what you would have gone through when you would have put all of this out right today when a normal creator puts uh like basic if she's wearing a sleeveless and a short skirt there will be comments on her page right on oh she's showing off she's showing skin and and it can go nasty to whatever extent it you know we all know that right but when you're out there explicitly putting content about sex which is a taboo subject in our country taboo i mean not legally but yeah unofficially right what did you go through? And I, I, I honestly meant being brave that because by that, because you chose to, you chose a subject, which obviously not many people have, you know, spoken about. You chose to, I mean, raise the red flags technically. Um, I think that, you know, for many people, the trolling actually begins at home. It could yeah. be someone's own parent or their own, whatever, brother, father-in-law, mother, somebody who prohibits them from talking about this. Um, mm-hmm. So often that is a much larger barrier to being able to do, to being able to express yourself in a public forum about a topic like sex than the anonymous strolls or whatever. I mean, unfortunately, as you said, and it, you know, it's not even, women don't even have to show skin to get trolled. You can be wearing uh, totally covered up and you have a political opinion that's contrary to the dominant political opinion and you're going to get rape threats and death threats so I feel like the behavior on the internet is a a whole other rabbit hole you know and um, I think actually the people who get the worst end of it are people who have the courage to question um, the majority religion the majority political you know things like that we won't get into that for this podcast since that's (laughs) as I said a whole other rabbit hole um but yeah so I would say trolling was not for me an obstacle I mean you have to have a thick skin as a content creator as you said you could be talking about anything from lipstick to politics and you're going to get trolled so sex is just one more thing that some people might I don't know say something to you or slut shame you or say something silly but I feel like the fact that I had a very supportive family made this so much easier to do. It would be so hard for me if my own parents didn't support me or if my yeah. own... Many people do it regardless and, and more power to them. But I do think it made my journey much more sort of doable, much easier doable. because yeah. I didn't have a, that daily struggle of having to justify my work to the people I live with or to the so, people uh, you know, directly sort of involved in my life. 
so so when you know when people write to you nasty things or send you whatever nasty messages etc what do you do do you block them do you not respond at all do you actually get affected or you choose not to get like what is your response in most of the situations like and so this actually, can help I a lot of people i want to say though that i'm really grateful and pleasantly surprised that the response has been overwhelmingly positive i mean you can yeah. look at the comments on my videos or yeah um yeah. it's public right yeah. <laughs> kana really so i'm really pleased that i think for a lot of young people this information has been received like 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 thank you didi or you know um this is amazing or like we need to hear this we shout it from the rooftops i get a lot of messages like that yeah. much much more other messages yeah. like that than the ones being like chup whatever or like you spoiling our culture or something so i feel like and i also feel like i tried to um it was very intentional for me to talk about sex with the same kind of tone uh, that i would talk about any other subject unfortunately sure. so often sex is packaged whenever if it is ever talked about which is so rare if it is portrayed in the mainstream media or pop culture or whatever either it's portrayed as this bad like you know it's this subject of judgment and shame and ha- like hi hi chi chi kind of thing or it's like funny and ridiculous and the butt of the joke uh, yeah. and like you know an opportunity for gossip or something like that so either it's presented as as ridiculous and funny or you know really shameful and uh, sinful and things like that and we always talk about it as if it's this thing that other people do not something mm. we do ourselves you know and so i really wanted to in my tone um make a talk about sex with the same amount of like normalcy i suppose as i would talk about a recipe or a movie review or the weather or any other part of life because that sure. because in my eyes sex isn't to be i mean i want to take away that even though it's 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 a it's it's a word that's very powerful on the internet right or in in advertising or anywhere sex sells sex is a very clickbaity yeah. thing if you want to use it and many people do do that where the video has actually nothing to do with sex education but they will use the imagery or vocabulary of sex the captions and all that yeah and i wanted to kind of do the opposite where <laughs> i mean if you're looking to get aroused you're probably going to be disappointed when you watch my videos you know it's more um almost like a i don't know it's education big sister or teacher or somebody just you know it it has more like a yeah exactly it's educational it's it's very i feel like i don't mince anything i don't try and be coy about anything i just see it as it is and i tr- i try and make it accessible and friendly but yeah. i didn't want to make it titillating i oh, amp up i mean maybe i'd get even more views if i was like you know doing it in a bikini and like being like oh but and and there's nothing wrong with that i mean i think each to their own and different people express yeah. sex positivity differently and and there's absolutely no shame in embracing your body and and showcasing your body and all of that but for me particularly for my content i just wanted to make it just the way i talk about anything else you know hmm interesting so you know when you say that you wanted to normalize this and you i mean there is not enough being said about sex in a in a normal way according to you what are the conversations which are normal I, and i'm 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 just trying to understand right as a as somebody who works with brands as somebody who works with creators what are these normal conversations what can mm-hmm. creators add as part of their content to normalize uh sex or normalize sex education i think that firstly it 
you know, because it's a subject we're not taught about, it's not a subject many people know a lot about. So it is hard to sure. normalize talking about something you yourself don't know much about or are not comfortable talking about. Sure. You know, so, um, I mean, people might have long conversations about red lipstick or which primer to use or which sports team or video game they're really interested in. And they might spend hours every day invested in exploring, you know, makeup available or video games that are available or whatever it is, right? These are interests of young people that are very popular genres in content, beauty, gaming, extremely yeah. popular genres. Um, I feel like with sex ed, you might not even know that you don't know because where are you getting this information? It's not given to you um, in the way that some of the other topics that have become very popular for influencers yeah. to talk about have become. So this is, and also you have a responsibility. I mean, maybe, you know, if you say something silly about a video game, it's not as big a deal or there's higher, there's, there's, there's not as high stakes as if you give somebody misinformation about sexual health. Um, so I do think, while, while, while I really do believe everybody should talk about sex and, and, and feel comfortable doing so if they want to and that there should be no gatekeeping, I think you have a lot of responsibility to make sure whatever you're, sharing is scientifically accurate yes. and is credible. Um, and so so perhaps it's a slightly more complicated genre to talk about because it requires mm. some um, investment in learning about the subject, you know? Sure. But I think that, you know, that is not to say only doctors should talk about sex. I think what's very unfortunate is we either, we see sex as either pornographic or pathological. Like the internet is filled with porn, right? It's easier than ever before to watch people have sex. Um, yeah. And on the other hand, you know, people are constantly worried that something's not okay. Like, am I normal? Is my penis normal? Is it normal to masturbate? Is are my desires normal? People are so worried that their perfectly normal bodies and desires are somehow deviant or medically not okay, you know, because we've internalized so much shame. Um, and I think this idea that you have, you know, nobody who's not a doctor should be allowed to talk about sex, further pathologizes sex in this way. Because, I mean, there's so many aspects of sex that are not pathological, you know, to talk about pleasure, to talk about just knowing your own body. Those are things anybody should be able to do. And um, I, I and I think that, that it's so important, therefore, to encourage both very responsible uh, acquisition of information, crediting sources, making sure your sources are reliable, really learning about this, if you want to talk about it. Um, as uh, but also still encouraging people to talk about it, if that makes sense. You know, sure. this is something you should sure. care to know about, learn about, and and you don't have to have all the answers. Sometimes it's also about asking questions or putting a uh, step forward to make it seem like this topic is okay to be discussed. You know, even just, I mean, I think something like consent also. You don't need to be a doctor to talk about consent. You know, I wish every yeah. young person was talking about consent because so many people's first sexual experiences are not consensual. You know, yeah. so to me, things like consent and safety and pleasure, these are things that all people should have enough information around to make. All adults should choices, have in enough inf know? information about. I mean, yeah, you know, different countries have different legal ages of consent. So that's something yeah. that can differ from country to country. In some countries, the legal age of consent is 16. In India, it's 18. So even if you're not yet sexually active, I think it's very important to understand consent because consent is, you know, even somebody just touching your shoulder, whether that's consensual or not, is something that we have the right to think and think about and talk about. There's this tendency to equate sex with penetration and to think of, 
you know, sex as an adult activity. But the truth is, unfortunately, that a lot of unwanted sexual contact happens even to children. Sexual abuse is a huge problem among children of all genders. It's not, it doesn't only happen to girl children. We never talk about this stuff, you know. So I think understanding consent actually needs to be done at a very young age. Understanding good touch, bad touch, those are things that you can teach children. Yeah. Um, it isn't only an adult conversation, you know. And I think parents need to understand that. Many parents think the you talk to your kids for the first time about sex when they turn 18 and like sheepishly talk to them about condoms or something like it's a one-time conversation and never again and you're awkward and they're awkward. But actually, I feel like there's opportunities to discuss sexuality, gender, the body, all kinds of things right from infancy. I mean, when you teach a toddler the names of the body parts even, yeah. uh, why teach them euphemisms for the genitals, you know? Uh, some people even use the euphemism shame shame for the genitals. What's that going to do to how the young person perceives their own body. So in so many ways, I mean, I think these need to be ongoing conversations, age appropriate, but ongoing, not one-time conversations, you know? But tell me, you know, there's this entire thing of amongst the more aware generation now, the younger generation now, or some of us who are way more liberal uh, have been exposed to things all over the world uh, about India lacking sex education, right? Uh, if you have to break it, uh, I know that there is, you know, there is this thing in schools, at least uh, some of the schools in urban cities, which are teaching children good touch and bad touch, right? But at the same time, I just feel that then there is an entire gap where everything else is, you know, left. And then the kids are left to kind of figure it on their own or whatever through the internet and all of that. What, how do we, how, how does that, that part piece comes in? Like kids who are, eight, nine, ten, when they're being slowly, slowly exposed and, you know, given exposure to things happening around them. How, how does one bring that education? See, I think it's very tempting to just pass the blame. Like the parents think the schools should do it. The schools think the parents should do it and nobody's doing it. Um, yeah. I wish that comprehensive sex education was part of all school curricula. But to be honest, the state of sex education, not just in India, but across the world is very lacking. It isn't sure. perfect anywhere. And even yeah. a very developed country like the US has pretty abysmal sex education outside of, let's say, private schools in New York and California or something like that. I mean, you know, I'm sure maybe there'll be some wonderful school in the South or the whatever, in the more conservative parts of the country that's still doing a decent job. But there's some very conservative attitudes to sex and sex education all over the world, even in the most economically developed countries and all of that. So I feel like the whole, I mean, globally, we need to be more mm. sex positive and to do more when it comes to comprehensive sex education. I think some Scandinavian countries have some pretty good um, programs that are very pleasure inclusive and queer inclusive. But for even in the developing world, a lot of places where there is sex education, it tends to be abstinence focused, you know, and yeah. it tends to educate people about the dangers of sex. Um, yeah. and scare them into not having sex. Like, you will get pregnant and you will get diseases. So, you know, <laughs> do not do it or you'll go to hell or whatever. So it's not like we are the only place where sex education isn't adequate. This is, I feel, a, a really large-scale global problem. Um, yeah. and, and actually, when you look at India historically, we have a history that was quite relatively sex positive. I mean, we have some incredibly beautiful imagery and iconography, um, uh, you know, that, that celebrates sexuality and sex as a creative uh, process and a sort of very potent creative and erotic force. I mean, Khajuraho, the Kama Sutra, there's so many examples, right? People know this, and yet we choose to ignore the fact that 
our own culture was actually quite sex positive and that 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 with colonialism we inherited these very sort of victorian um ideas of morality and uh, associating shame and everything you know with sex so so it's a funny one where i feel like uh it's hard to think of any any place without thinking of all other places and any time in history without thinking of other times in history right because how did we get here um and how do we progress you know i feel sure. like these are things that you can't think of in an in isolation of the larger geographic historical and social cultural context um so i do think that uh, that schools and parents and really anyone who's in a position to sort of impact the lives of young people should see it as a responsibility because studies globally have shown that young people who do have access to sex education who can talk to a trusted adult such as a parent or a caregiver or a teacher about sex are more likely to delay having sex and are less likely to take risks with their own or another person's health or safety so contrary to this belief that like if we teach young people sex education then everybody will have more sex younger actually it it's the exact opposite uh, of that opposite. people make better decisions people wait to have sex and you know in a funny kind of way when you tell a young person don't do this it almost makes that thing more so to do we all have done that we all have right? wanted to know more about things which yeah, we were told not to do out. exactly yeah. exactly so in a way just making it normal um actually encourages more responsible behavior interesting tell me so you know while there is sex education there is i mean all all of them all obviously you know all this entire subject culminates from the fact that we we are a society which is missing sex education right but because of that there is something called as uh, equal pleasure right uh, and more and more you're seeing women you see women not being able to express pleasure right or being able to understand their own pleasure do you mean uh, the orgasm gap are you referring to the orgasm gap just overall pleasure right in in sexual relationships uh in india women are not able to express themselves right uh what are the i mean you you'll so many of the conversations that you will have with women uh you will find that they're not happy they they're not interested they are uh you know a lot of gaps in uh in the conversations or in the actual act and whereas you you hardly hear men complaining about it right why is that so like women are complaining more about sexual no sexual pleasure and whereas men don't complain about it do you think it's because of lack of sexual education or something else because of their inability to express um so you know actually i feel like it's uh kind of limiting to make generalizations based okay. on like men are this way and women are this way yeah. but but our society does it all the time so unfortunately in a way those become self fulfilling uh how should i say you know because the way we we our behaviors are a culmination uh, or rather our behaviors are the result of not just our own true feelings but also the social and familial and religious and other conditioning correct um so 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 this is a complicated question i want to address it yeah, i'm sorry if i knowledge that like the very binary attitude to gender where we think of all people as either men uh, or women and that like men are sexual and women don't want sex or don't like sex or don't enjoy it as much like these these generalizations even though they're so prevalent in society yeah i feel like they're quite harmful and i wish we could dismantle this association of certain behaviors with men and certain behaviors with women because in a way those 
uh, stereotypes existing perpetuate the the thought process for for people of whatever gender to have to conform to that stereotype. Do you know what I mean? Sure. What if I'm a man sure. who loves sex? I can't say that because society has told me women don't love sex. What if I'm a man yeah. who doesn't like sex? I can't say that because society has told me I have to love sex and you know it's super masculine to want sex and have it all the time. So I feel like it's damaging to perpetuate these stereotypes and I really want to try and be like there is no gendered way to I mean men don't have to have sex in this one way and women don't have to have sex in this one way. Like we can sure. define for ourselves how we wish to be sexually and there's also gender identities beyond the binary, you know, not all people identify as either men or women or uh, sure. and and the genitals don't have to determine gender identity and so there's so much to unpack there. But um the fa- I, i do think at the same time the pleasure of people with vaginas or people with vulvas has been in the sort of cis heteropatriarchal landscape yeah. that we all exist yeah. in it has been sidelined i mean w- the sexuality of women has been surveilled and policed and controlled historically for centuries and continues to be um and so we you know society has worked really hard to make sure that women don't feel entitled to pleasure that women yeah. for women sex is supposed to be about having babies not orgasms you know that's the yeah. messaging that society has tried to perpetuate for centuries um yeah. so i think that pans out and i mean gender equality right in so many aspects of life has been something that we've tried to we are still trying to fight for whether it's gender equality in terms of how people are i mean before we used to have to fight for the right to vote and the right to work yeah. now that we have the rights to do those things we're try- trying to fight for more representation in government more representation in corporate boardrooms paid your paid equally more exactly and and yeah. same we need gender equality in the bedroom as well right yeah. uh, i think that the fact that people look at sex as penetration most people think sex equals a penis in a vagina that is sex nothing else is sex that's a very limiting view of sex and it ignores women's pleasure because the 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 you know i mean the research tells us <laughs> and i mean i think most most people with vulvas will confirm this that penetration is not the most reliable route to orgasm for women you know some amount of clitoral stimulation is also required but nobody teaches anyone about the clitoris in any official context it's ne- if there is sex ed or a biology chapter in your school you learn about the uterus and the ovaries and menstruation you'll see the penis because erection and ejaculation are very important um but no one mentions the clitoris right even though it's absolutely central to the pleasure of most people with vulvas and actually the clitoris is the analog to the penis they develop from the same tissue when a fetus is developing you know uh, before uh, sexual differentiation occurs so the vagina is not the analog to the penis the clitoris is the analog to the penis imagine if you know there were millions of men in the world who'd never seen a diagram of the penis or didn't know what the penis was it's unthinkable to us but there are millions of women in the world who have never seen a diagram of the clitoris or don't really know what it is you know so we've been kind of i feel fed certain scripts that are very heteronormative very patriarchal um for so long that we've come to think of sex in certain ways um that that prioritize the pleasure of people with penises and posit sex as some sort of duty for women or some sort of um you know i mean many women even think that sex is painful and that's just how it is for women it's just supposed to hurt it's not supposed to hurt you know i mean women's pleasure hasn't been part of the conversation for so long so and and same with uh the you know the sexual experiences of queer people we don't talk about that enough either right this is very very heteronormative uh sort of 
male-centric portrayal of sex for so long that I think it, it colors our own attitudes as well because that's just what we've been taught, you know? So it takes some unlearning also. Even for the people who don't benefit from the views, you would have internalized some of them. And so it can be some, you know, it can, it can take quite a lot of work to, to rethink or un, unlearn or sort of dismantle some of the stuff that you've internalized. Interesting. Okay, I'm going to try and ask you a simple question. I don't know if it's simple and uh, please pardon because it's very difficult for me to frame these questions like I admitted at the beginning. How do women learn to express their own, uh, you know, uh, to express what they want out of a sexual experience? How can women start communicating better? And I'm sorry I'm saying this women because one I truly believe that a lot of my audiences is women and also I believe that this section needs more representation as compared to particularly for sex as a subject as compared to I know you don't disagree I know men. you disagree no, men, but yeah you know, I just think there's different um, aspects of the way that this cis heteropatriarchy has influenced uh, people of all genders and it serves nobody. Like some people think, yeah. many men are like, oh, you angry feminist, you know, like they, they kind of rail yeah. against women yeah. who talk about women's rights. But men don't understand that this doesn't help them either. And I see yeah. it all the time. So many men write to me being like, you know, I'm so uh, insecure about the size of my penis or how long I can last in bed or I don't think any woman is going to like me because my body is so ugly or, uh, you know, complaints around premature ejaculation or erectile dysfunction and things like that. And, um, also, I feel like even just being emotional is considered not masculine enough. So men just yeah. have no place to be vulnerable and think that they can't. I mean, toxic masculinity does not serve men. <laughs> you know, it really doesn't. The patriarchy Agreed. does not even serve men. So I feel like Agreed. it is in their interest to dismantle this as well. They're not doing us some favor, you know? Yeah. Um, and this emphasis on performance, like, you know, uh, is, is kind of damaging to the idea of sex because it feeds into that whole like sex equals penetration. That's the only way to do it. Yeah. Um, and this whole like penis centric view of sex is I feel quite restrictive, actually, because there's so much pleasure to be had with or without an erect penis. Doesn't yeah. matter how big it is either. Dil bada hona but. Um, <laughs> but you were saying, how do we get better at communicating? <laughs> how can women women learn to you know express themselves to their partners, whoever the partners are, right? To express their needs, their requirements, pleasure, displeasure, whatever it is. How do women communicate? You know, I really think that for women, it can be really just the most wonderful gateway to understanding your own pleasure to masturbate. Um, because before you're able to communicate about your pleasure, it can really help to understand you, how your body works in relation to pleasure. At least my, for myself, um, as a young person, I mean, in my early 20s and my first few sexual experiences, I feel like I myself didn't know enough about how my own body works in relation to pleasure. So if things weren't feeling so great, I didn't even know what to tell him to do differently. You know, sure. I kind of thought that my pleasure is going to rely on the skill level of the partner, you know, that, that, that it's going to feel amazing when, when he, he's a good lover or something like that. I don't know. It's funny how we kind of put a lot of pressure on the other person in our own head sometimes. Like the sex is going to be good if the other person is good in bed. But actually self-awareness can really dictate the quality of your sexual experiences. If you know what gives you pleasure, it's much more likely that you're going to have a pleasurable experience because you can communicate that knowledge to your partner. And I think just being receptive to feedback, both both partners or whatever number of partners, I think uh, if you're 
willing to give and receive feedback. You're willing to make your partner's pleasure as much of a priority as your own. That can be a really wonderful place to to be because then together you're kind of ex viewing sex as a shared experience rather than attaching your ego to the perception of your performance. You know what I mean? Versus their performance or some sort of thing that you're doing to impress. Them. Like so often we're worried about how we look and whether the lingerie is nice enough and whether the cellulite is visible and how we look when we're having an orgasm. And like there's so much concern over all this other stuff that you're not even in the moment or able to enjoy what's happening um, because there's this element of like, almost like, you know, I, I want, I, I don't know, there's a performative element to it, right? In a way. It's almost like some sort of show and tell um, talent show or something going on and you really want to please your partner uh, in that way. But I feel like being able to be honest with each other and not having to pretend or perform or like moan extra loudly when it's not actually feeling so good or, you know, when you're able to be honest, actually things can get uh, so much more uh, truly pleasurable. You know, you don't have to pretend, right, if you're able to be honest. So, But I think first... Knowing what, what turns you on, knowing what feels good will make it much easier to c communicate effectively. And so often um, creating a sort of self-pleasure practice for yourself, especially as a person with a vulva, I think can be really quite radical and groundbreaking because at least for me, it was like, I didn't even know that I didn't know that I was capable of experiencing this much pleasure, you know, until I um, explored self-pleasure for myself. So... I feel like we're not encouraged to, we don't even look at it. You know, most people with vulvas grow up never having even seen their own vulva. Like it isn't located in a place which is easy to see. Unlike if you have a penis, you're kind of going to see it every time you pee or, you know, change or whatever. I feel like to really, to, 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 to know what the clitoris is, to know, many, many people don't even know that they don't menstruate from the same opening that they pee from, you know, that there's a urethra and the vagina, the two different openings there. Um, People just don't know this because they haven't gotten to take a closer look. So I always encourage people even to like sit down for 20 minutes with a hand mirror and like look at the vulva, figure out what is what, figure out what feels good when touched. Um, when it comes to like, you know, genital sex uh, and the clitoris is one of the most reliable routes to orgasm for people with vulva. So it's, it's quite wonderful to explore that. But there's also so much else that can be really pleasurable to stimulate in bed. You know, there's so much beyond the genitals for people of all genders. I mean, some people can experience an orgasm from someone stimulating their ear or their foot or their neck or their nipples or, you know, and lots of other non-genital parts of the body. So I feel like even just thinking of your body as this like wonderful source of pleasure and this and, 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 and feeling confident in your body, those are things that society doesn't encourage us to feel. You know, most of us have body insecurities and feel some amount of shame about our naked bodies and no matter how we look. Um, so I feel like it's a process. It isn't a one a quick, quick fix solution, you know, but I mm. think feeling, firstly, feeling like you're worthy of pleasure, feeling like you're, um, you know, wonderful as you are. Those, those are things as, as women that we're not encouraged to feel. Um, so I think it's where it starts. Interesting. Wow. This is, this is like a, this is like a lesson for me, a lot of it to be, and I, I'm admitting it, uh, you know, as content people, there's something that we both know, the most viewed genre of content in this world is porn, right? In spite of that, it's seen as 
uh, if I have to put the exact word, it's chi. Oh my God, like, you know, it's dirty. A lot of women don't like porn for whatever reasons. Uh, why Why is there so much of disparity? Uh, do you think it's normal to watch porn for both men and women? Or you think there has to be a limit to how much you consume and stuff like that? And um, the kind I of porn. Yeah, I think a lot of people watch porn of all genders. It's actually less... Um, sort of people think women don't watch porn but women watch porn I mean this Pornhub releases statistics every year and yeah. it's, a, it's not like 1% of women it's like something like 30% of women you can I mean there's differences 40. I for think different it's 40 from what and, I've heard yeah. and then it increases every you know things yeah. like internet access are also skewed by gender in the sense that yes. more men have yes. internet access than women yeah. in many countries things like that yeah. so these are hard things to generalize and again I feel like gender stereotypes are not very helpful so with porn, unfortunately, a lot of mainstream porn, free internet porn, um, has been, if it is studio produced, it has for a long time been produced with a male viewer in mind. So the way that it portrays sex is often very um, sort of neglectful of women's pleasure or... Sure. Um, violent and misogynistic. There's also this tendency to fetishize different ethnicities and different body types yeah. instead of representing. You know, porn, yeah. porn is quite diverse, but they tokenize or fetishize even in the titles of the clips and things like that, certain yeah. races or certain age groups or certain body types and things like that. So this is not um, in my... that To me, that's quite unethical um, because it tends to fuel things like racism or sexism or fat phobia or other all kinds yeah. of other pre-existing prejudices instead of challenging it reiterates those however yeah. um i think there's also uh, a, a quite a, a large number of adult filmmakers seeking to make better porn recognizing that porn is now a stand-in for many young people in the absence of sex education it becomes the first reference point for sex you know and recognizing that the pleasure of women and queer people also deserve representation. And so there's um, this sort of independently produced porn that's called ethical porn or feminist porn or indie porn. I mean, there's different names for it, but um, there's a focus on a whole, I mean, in terms of the actual content, you know, it takes into consideration the more emotional aspects of sex, the pleasure of all people, um, the, the representation of diverse sexualities and ethnicities without tokenizing and fetishizing. Um, oh. and, and so it can be, I mean, it's literally very much made with the thought process of, okay, if now in the internet era, porn is a stand-in for sex education, let's make it to provide to young people a healthy and beautiful and sort of, you know, um, safe and consensual representation of sex rather than something that's just going to be extremely confusing and potentially uh, even sort of negatively impact how a young person sees sex, right? Because I think parents don't talk enough to their children about porn and in the internet era, whether you want to or not, I think statistics show that inevitably, whether intentionally or unintentionally, many people, like, I think in the US, I, I could be wrong with the exact statistic, you can look it up, but something like 50% of young people have accessed porn by the time they're 10 years old. You know, there could be a wow. pop-up window 
on another site or whatever. You don't even have to look for porn. Porn will find you on the internet, right? Yeah. Um, so, so porn literacy is important. It's important to talk about this stuff. And and I don't think porn is all good or all bad. And I don't like making like I think I really encourage people to have like both and thinking instead of either or thinking, because. Sure. Um, uh, because, you know, for, I mean, for some people, porn can be, um, I mean, it is a very safe, um, you know, you can't get pregnant or get a disease from watching porn. You, uh, you can't get rejected either. So in a way, self-pleasure um, and, or watching porn or any kind of solo sexual activity are, some, are among the safest ways to have sex in a way, right? Or to have a sexual experience. Um, I think for many people whose community or family or something invalidates their um, sort of sexuality, it can maybe even be uh, quite affirming to see your desires represented in porn. Um, sure. You know, so so I can't say that porn is all bad or that porn is bad for women or porn is bad for, you know, this person versus this. It's so personal. I feel like your your relationship with your sexuality and uh, how you use porn or don't use porn is something that really adults should have the freedom to decide for themselves. I do think that on the uh, creation of porn, we should have more regulation because so often you don't even know whether a clip was consensually filmed, whether it was consensually disseminated, whether the act being filmed is consensual. I mean, the clips of sexual assault that are put onto porn sites. This is yeah. unacceptable. Revenge porn. Unacceptable, right? So I think we need tech companies and production houses and things like that to be much more responsible about regulating what goes on a site. Sure. You know, in terms of, uh, and since there's amateur porn and the tube sites where anybody can upload anything, it is very likely that every minute some clip that violates consent on some level is being uploaded. And sure. to me, that is a huge problem. As for the ethics of studio-produced porn, whether you watch it or not, if it was consensually filmed, those that's a slightly different conversation. You know what I mean? Here, it's very clear. Like, putting a clip of somebody onto a porn site without their consent is not acceptable. It is just that, for me, that's a very clear answer. But yeah. as to the... Um, to the take on whether watching porn is good or bad for you. That's really something you have to figure out. And, and interestingly, your views on something are likely to determine the outcome. Like if you think masturbating is bad and watching porn is bad, you're likely to feel bad about it. If you don't think it's so bad, you know, you're probably going to be able to enjoy your pleasure more wholeheartedly. So I feel like there's a, a real requirement for people to think these things through themselves because beyond the point, no third party can tell you about your sexuality or your pleasure or your identity. That's really something for you to figure out. I think what I try to do is encourage people to think about how much of their feelings or attitudes or perspectives are truly reflections of their sense of self and how much are simply the result of what you've been told by society, family, religion, and all of this other stuff, you know? Interesting, interesting. This is this is very very interesting, and I, I you know I'm so glad, uh, Lisa. Throughout this conversation, there was one thing that was at the back of my mind that I'm so glad you're doing what you're doing to be able to you know not just educate but you know get people talking about it. The fact that that you know I approached you to talk about this subject, I think for me it was a big feat 
uh, talking about it, right? Uh, and I'm sure there are more people like me who would like to come and <laughs> talk to you about it and normalize this conversation. I have a six-year-old daughter and I'm sure, you know, somewhere going down the line, I will talk to her about sex and educate her about it and not just in a way of good and bad touch, right? It will evolve more. Uh, and 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 that was, that was the intent of this conversation. Uh, I mean, and you know, that th they say that everything begins from home. So I wanted to do it first where I speak to you and, you know, everything else, you know, everybody else can be taken care of later. But tell me, you know, uh, in all of this, like I again said, you have been very, very brave. Uh, you've, you know, yours is a beautiful social media page where you're talking about so many things. And, you know, there are so many new terms that you put up, which I wouldn't know most of the times. And it's nice and interesting to know about those things. But in all of this, uh, you know, do you think talking about sex, especially in India, in, a country, in our country, has affected your work, your collaborations? Have less brands started coming? Are less brands coming to you saying, oh, no, because she's talking about sex? Or there are more brands coming to you? Or there are more people coming to you for collaborations and commercial conversations, etc.? Have you been stereotyped or you've um, not been stereotyped? See, I've done such a, uh, an array of things in my career. Um, in fact, I started this conversation actually on YouTube before I started talking about sex on Instagram about four years ago. I started creating content around relationships, sexuality, gender, the body on YouTube because at the time Instagram wasn't video focused. Sure. It was a photo sharing platform, you know. Um, but but I feel like even just as recently as four years ago, it wasn't um, as easy. I think people were just starting to have digital careers. Like I was working, I wanted to pursue a career in the media. And when I graduated from college in 2011, I worked with TV. I worked in television for like five or seven years before I started moving to digital because at the time, mainstream media was, was it was yeah. rapidly losing its foothold but yeah. it was still the real deal you know TV yeah tv was, was the, the big deal, deal. yeah and all was like how do you you can't, i mean i think people had not wrapped their head around the idea that you yeah. could be a youtuber as a career right yeah. um yeah. well that was just beginning in india just beginning you know uh and so i was doing mainstream television work and i've done a whole range of different types of content from lifestyle and travel to sport to business news. Um, but as a person in your 20s, you know, you're not getting to call the shots. You take and present whichever show they give you. So yeah. I was um, frustrated over time. Firstly, also, it's all branded content. Now in the, I mean, almost anything on television and television. even in the industry. But the integrity yeah. of journalism is is, some, is another rabbit hole. Again, it's a whole other podcast. But um, basically even though I was very grateful for the learnings that came with it, because I learned about production as well. I learned not only how to be in front of a camera, but also behind the camera, scripting, producing, all of this stuff, which were very transferable skills, which have served me very well, even in the work that I do currently. It, you know, it doesn't hurt to know how to edit video, how to yeah. shoot and be your own cameraman yeah. and sound and whatever. So I'm, I, I enjoyed working in television, but I wasn't getting to talk about the things I cared about. So it was paying my bills, however, and that's important. So I continued to, I was hosting a football league, the ISL, you know, for five years I hosted that. And I started my YouTube channel alongside. And it's it's interesting to, you know, unlike other forms of content and influencer culture where you're relying on brand deals to fund you and whatever else, yeah. there are some red tape kind of um, barriers, I guess, 
around this content which people should know about for example most content that has to do with sex is not uh, advertiser friendly on youtube yeah. so yeah it will automatically be demonetized or yeah. you know ads will be disabled on the content um because that's just the global policy on youtube and i mean there's many funny little sort of inconsistencies in the policies of these uh, companies which otherwise seem to be so woke and progressive even instagram you know female nipples are banned on instagram but today when gender is so um sort of mm, you can't really Discussed. classify somebody's yeah. gender based on their body type no i mean what is a female nipple and what is a male nipple you know yeah it's 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 um a, a strange thing to contemplate when you recognize that gender is a social construct you know so yeah. um i think the companies themselves are struggling with the with sort of whether these policies hold weight anymore or not and in fact as my channel grew i was able to communicate with youtube india and have at least some of it monetized because they recognized that it was educational in nature you know many of these rules serve to prevent sort of abuse on the platform or sexual solicitation yeah. or yeah. things that are, might be illegal in certain illegal. countries but i think there's more and more recognition for the fact that educational content is valuable and needed and yeah. as as uh, you know when you make it difficult for creators to um get ad revenue from making that content you're disincentivizing the creation of that content right sure. why would anyone make videos that are, but when i said when i did it though it was going to be my passion project i was still doing the tv stuff this was just stuff that i really cared about so at the time i was like who cares whether it's monetized or not monetized i'll work extra hard to make my money doing this mainstream tv stuff so that i can do this without having to worry about all of that other sure. whatever right so and also when your views are when your videos are getting 1000 and 5000 views the money is so small on youtube doesn't anyway matter, yeah. that it yeah. doesn't really matter so i didn't let all of that get in the way of just starting to do this project because i just believed it was important and i think many creators who talk about less talked about issues have a, another job like sometimes you might be making your money from your day job and this could be this other thing you do because you believe in it i mean it's unfortunate i feel now that we believe we must monetize every hobby or every passion project and i i think unfortunately there's some um compromise actually now, the pandemic made it very difficult for me to do any tv work anymore and luckily that coincided with a kind of um sort of just explosion in terms of the reach of my digital content you know i was at like yeah. uh a different it was just a different level of reach i had uh in let's say 2018 or or so compared to now so um for various factors i i guess my in terms of the amount of time i spend doing what i'm i kind of almost don't do any tv at all anymore and focus entirely on my digital content but um i'm very cautious of brand deals because i really think that you know when a, if i wouldn't use something myself i will not talk about it Sure. um if i if the values of of what's being sold don't align with mine i will not talk about it i recognize it's a privilege to be able to do that and some people need to make money and all of that but i think that if you're going to pick a subject to talk about that has um a certain level of impact that's different from just influencing someone's purchasing decisions you know if i tell you buy this lipstick and it's not your favorite shade of pink yeah fine but if i tell you buy you know vaginal lightening cream that's horrible that's not okay you know um i mean this is a regressive product that you do not need and yeah. so 
for me, even if 10 brands come to me saying, please sell my vaginal lightening cream and tightening cream and vaginal wash and all this stuff, I'm like, I, ca I cannot in good conscience recommend these entirely regressive and ridiculous products that don't even deserve to exist um, and sure. that feed on the insecurities of women just because money is being offered to me. You know, I just cannot no matter sure. how much money is being offered to me. So actually a lot of brands come my way because sexual health and wellness is a very nascent space. There's a huge opportunity because it's yeah. something that isn't being served sufficiently, you know? But I mean, like condoms are amazing. Lube is amazing. Sex toys are fantastic. But you're also getting all these really regressive products that are playing on existing misogynistic tropes around, you know, sex and women's bodies and things. And I feel so often the players creating these products are only in it for the money. They haven't even understood all of this properly. They'll have like sure. the very feminist Instagram page selling their vaginal lightning gel with a quote of like Arundhati Roy on the side or something, you know? And it's just like, in fact, sometimes I want to really tell brands like, <laughs> just do you even watch my content? Why are you coming to me with this stupid product? So I would say it hasn't hampered my work. It's funny. I feel like also in terms of how brands think, I don't know, I could be wrong, but numbers are a huge consideration for brands. And so I feel like if you're a content Your numbers creator, numbers are fantastic. You if you have to put it that way. So you get a lot. I mean, it's funny because I've been doing this quietly for so many years, but it's only after... I don't know, I crossed a certain threshold in my audience that brands like yeah. open the you know floodgate of brand opportunities. But I feel yeah. like um, it's particularly important for this genre of content to only collaborate with brands that are actually forwarding my goals and my mission sure. um, with a similar value system. You know, there's some amazing companies that are very pleasure positive and um, I mean, I'm, I'm a huge proponent of pleasure products. I'm a huge proponent of lube. Um, I even, and unfortunately those aren't easily available here. So sometimes I just talk about things that I genuinely use and have, you know, without naming the brand, but so you see the product, because I really believe these are things that can be life alteringly wonderful, um, to use, but I would never recommend a product that I would not use myself and that I cannot, uh, align my values with. Tell me, the last question, uh, what next from here? How do you plan to scale up this entire, I would say, mission of imparting so much value through your content, right? How do you scale up and how do you think people like me or other creators in the ecosystem can help you and support you uh, bring in more value, uh, you know, by just by, you know, yeah, how can people like us help you and support you? Thank you. Um, I mean, you know, I feel like this isn't really about me. I wanted sure. to make it normal to talk about this stuff. And so every yeah. time I see another young person talking about this or sharing something I've said in their um, stories and adding their own experience to it, or every time I get a message from a woman being like, I had my first orgasm thanks to something I learned from your video. That's what I'm living for right now. It's not about me or how many followers I get or how yeah. much money is in my bank account as a result of this because this isn't really a commercial project. I mean, if I wanted to get rich, I should be an investment. I have an Ivy League degree. I could be working for like a consulting firm or an investment bank. Being a sex educator is not your ticket to becoming a millionaire. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but those are, I mean, I would like to be able to make a living. I think it's important for work to be sustainable. And I think we also have this habit of not, of expecting creative work for free, which is... yeah unfortunate um so i think that if i do anything with a brand or if i do anything with some uh, third party that 
is profiting from my participation, I definitely deserve to be paid. But yeah, I think there's also like a social impact aspect of my work, which is much less about me and how famous I get from it than it is about the. I mean, hopefully the. Uh, the value that, that you're that creating. Access to this information is creating. You yeah. know? And I don't own yeah. this information. Some of it is factual information. I've just bothered to do the research. I don't own these facts. So if Absolutely. 10 other people tomorrow want to talk about the clitoris or the hymen, I mean, I would be standing there cheerleading them because I really think that societal change is not possible with one person saying things. You know, it, yeah. changes is incremental it's not radical it's not like one yeah. person comes along and the whole society changes you know yeah everyone's yeah. mindset has to change it has and it'll probably take a lot of time so just as there have been people who've done this before me i mean there's some this paramita vora who's fun, one of my favorite um indian women who sort of dedicated much of their career to talking about sex and sexuality or seema anand and these are only two names that are coming to my mind now but obviously there's generations of people who've talked about and thought about and written about um, sex and sexuality in the Indian context long before I came along. And, and there will be more and more even after, you know, this work just has to, has to keep on going. This genre is such that um, unlike people who perhaps are looking at content creation very much as a profession and as some sort of with a business strategy and goals for each year or something, I feel like my Personally, I'm not driven by goals in terms of like these after these many followers by this and this date, and I'm going to post this many reels this week and that, because I feel like there's a certain amount of work involved in creating this content um, that isn't just okay. And I need to put a reel out today, so I'll just put something out. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. If I if I, I feel like the importance is much more on the credibility and the quality of the information rather than just putting something out every day because you have to. You know what I mean? So I don't want yeah. to put those. I mean, I don't really think of myself as an influencer. I don't. The, the word influencer kind of suggests that you're making a lot of money by putting out your content because you're influencing other people's purchasing choices. But you know, I'm not. There's no. I'm not trying to shame influencers. I'm nothing against influencers and influencers Simply, are amazing. But yeah. in terms of your revenue model. As a, I feel like the better word for something like what I'm doing uh, is educator because much more sure. much sure. more like an educator you're, what you're, you're putting out is not com not primarily commercially driven and the opportunities yes. to commercialize are few and far between because there's a conflict of interest you know sure. it is hard for me to both educate and sell you something very yes. rarely are those two aligned so I feel yes. like for people talking about certain things um, sex education being one of them, but perhaps if you're talking about any number of them, I mean, if you're basically, I feel like if the content is very clearly educational, then educator is perhaps a better word than influencer because you're sure. not you're you're not primarily making your money by influencing people's purchasing choices. You're trying to you're you providing access to information, you know. So it's just a bit different, even in terms of the viability as a career, and it's good for people to know that. Interesting. Lisa, I have to say this. I want to end this. Uh, you know, uh, I started my podcast around six months back, six months back. And, you know, when I started, I, I just had this thing that, you know, being in the entertainment business for 
almost like over 15 years i've had the opportunity to meet some incredible men and women right and doing really an artist doing some really good work both on the business side on the creative side etc and i thought that you know how could i better my life by learning from things that they do right and that was the sole like purpose of that of this podcast and today i'm so glad that i've had that conversation uh with you so thank you for doing what you're doing thank you for choosing you know to speak about a subject that really really is important and uh I mean and anything as from you know from a creator perspective as a as somebody in the business if there's anything that we can support you to be able to do this more to take it you know to larger audiences to bring an impact I mean I'll be the first one to kind of be cheerleading for you thank you thank you for having me thank you so much if you've enjoyed listening to this episode then do follow me on social media for more updates and short format content You can search me by the name Anshu Patni Singhi on Instagram and on Twitter. If you have suggestions please write to me or message me on Instagram and Twitter. I'll be back the next week.